your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're looking at this, uh, this series, Welcome to Church, and this morning is We're In This Together. And we're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in a second. We're actually going to like, whoom, through 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Um, so be ready for that. But first of all, I want to go back to something that we talked about a while ago. Um, because Dave Brown, uh, a couple weeks ago now, at the front, gave us this metaphor in the commissioning service. He said, uh, we, grace is not a cruise liner, we are a fishing boat. And we all know that it was in the, it was in the uh, survey last week as well. And this, and this little metaphor has actually caused quite a bit of discussion in the church over the last little while. And we put it in the survey and we asked the que- we, we said, this, this is the statement. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Or is it not that simple? And 70% of you just flat out agreed. And I'm sure, you know, that's not that easy just to agree, disagree, or simple. Um, 70% of you, though, agreed. And about 30% said it's not that simple. And you're right, and, and there, we actually got a lot of helpful and insightful reasoning why it's not that simple. So thanks to all of you who filled out that form. Um, and it's hard to ask questions like that because it's never a yes or no answer. It's never that simple. But metaphors actually are really helpful, not in perfectly presenting every aspect of something, but of pointing us in a really good direction of where we're going and and helping us understand something just a little bit better. And uh, when we use metaphors, we're actually in pretty good company because this book is fairly full of metaphors, and we're going to go into some of them this morning. And actually, when we use a fishing metaphor, we're in fairly good company because Jesus loved a fishing metaphor. So if you stick on the first slide there, in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, Jesus, to his first few followers, Petus, Peter, Petus, Peter <laughs> and, some, and, and the few fishermen, came along the beach to them and he simply said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they totally got what fishing were because they were fishermen, but I will make you fishers of men. And then again in, in Luke chapter 5, the story's told but differently, and Jesus is on the shore, and these guys have been fishing all night, and they're tired, and he's preaching this massive crowd, and he goes into the boat with them, and he tells them to let down their nets, and they said, we didn't catch anything last night, we, we, we don't want to let down your nets, and Jesus says, let down your nets again, and they bring in this massive haul that's so big they can't even get it in. It's this miraculous hall. And the response is fear and awe. And they fall at Jesus' feet. They fall at Jesus' feet in fear. And Jesus says this to them. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Whoa. These are guys that had great jobs, and they left everything and followed him. And so we're going to get stuck in this a bit, but I particularly want to talk about it this morning because we're in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, we get three more metaphors. We get a farming metaphor about planting new seeds and watering new seeds and growth. We get a building metaphor about get, uh, laying bricks and gold and precious stones and hay and wood and other things on a building, a, a building, a growth metaphor. And we get a temple metaphor. And we're going to go into that one as well. And that's a really important one. Um, But before we go into this, I I do want to stick around this fishing boat metaphor. 
I met Marlene last week just, out, just outside that door, and she's around here somewhere, right there. <laughs> and she said, Paul, I've been thinking about this metaphor a lot this week. And she said, but you have to remember, stick on the next slide. A fishing boat is not just an angler. A fishing boat is not just one guy with a rod. No, go to the next slide. A fishing boat is a whole crew. A fishing boat is a whole team. There's so much more, and we need to remember that. So I want us to delve into this. I'm going to do the thing you're all totally afraid of. I want us to do some discussion this morning. And now, let me, let me, let me still your fears. You don't have to know anything about the Bible for this. Anything. You never have had to been to church before in your life. You don't have to have any A-levels or a You don't have to have any of that stuff. But tell me this. Who has seen Deadliest Catch? Oh, please, people. Come on. Oh, well, okay, you're going to lead this discussion. Who has seen Trollermen? You guys do not watch enough reality television. Who has imagined a fishing boat? Bing! <laughs> okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get in groups of four or five. Turn around, talk to people you know, introduce yourselves, and I want you to come up with, you're going to be useless at this because you haven't seen Deadliest Catch. <laughs> no. Come up with five roles that are on, that you think may be on a fishing boat or a fishing crew, like this commercial type fishing crew. Five roles between you and what they are. Are you ready? Go. Okay, shh. Now this is when you get to class participation time where you have to listen to the other members of your class and so the loud ones have to... These guys look like they were really in a deep discussion. Give us one role and what does it do? Oh, <laughs> and what does the captain do? Uh, we'll, we'll give you that. Anyone else? Back here, yeah. Trevor, your group. A cook. Good one. Brilliant. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it, what the cook does? Over here. Engi what does an engineer do? <laughs> Good enough. In the back. What was that? Navigator. Very good. Here somewhere. Do you guys have any? Ah, fish packers. Yeah, yeah. Skipper does something. Skips. <laughs> a fisherman. That's loose. We'll, we'll give you that. Over here. You guys sort of look like you knew what you were talking about. Oh, you've done them all. Okay, any, any other new ones? Crew member. Huh? Bread crummer. Fish. <laughs> okay. Anyone, anyone know anything else? Over here. What did you guys have? A what? A rigger. That sounds good. Someone who rigs stuff. That, can anyone know of any actually real? Sorry? Men, net mender. Me, yes. Very good. There's a good one actually. What did you say, Fiona? The new guy. Yeah, sure. There's a role. The new guy. The green orange. She watches Deadliest Catch. <laughs> any, anyone else have any actual fishing? Yeah, Lorna. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The sail, yeah, uh-huh. That sort of takes the metaphor to another level, but yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, the net dropper puller back upper. Yeah, that is a really... 
yeah, great. <laughs> go home and watch Deadliest Catch. It's really good television. Okay, here's an easier question. You don't even need to go into groups for that. What is the purpose of this fishing boat crew? Anyone? Boom. <laughs> the purpose of the fishing boat crew, all of them, are to catch fish. Wow. Every single one of those roles, even some of them, cook, who've maybe never touched a net in their life. Maybe the cook doesn't even get in the boat. Maybe it's like freezer meals. We don't know. Every single one of those people's roles is about catching fish. And I was thinking, you know, if you go to those towns in Alaska, actually, if you go to my hometown, it doesn't matter what anyone was, what any, what any job they do. If you ask them what kind of town this is, they say, this is a hockey town. That's in Canada. What's this town about? Hockey. It's not, actually. But, but a fishing town, everyone in the town, the restaurants, the people in the boats, everyone. What is this town about? Fishing. And they're all about catching fish. So I was thinking about this this week. So a cook feeds the crew so they have energy to catch fish. A mechanic or an engineer fixes things, repairs things. The guys in the boats, when something little goes wrong, can fix it. Or there's the dry dock when the rudder or something massive goes wrong. And his job is to get that boat back in the water as soon as possible so they can catch more fish. Nobody said cleaner. It's a messy, disgusting boat. There's new, green, greasy fish coming in all the time. It's got to be cleaned. There's a medical team. Fishing's a dangerous uh, job. It's a dangerous, I was going to say hobby. It's not what well, it could be a hobby as well. People get hurt. People need to be off. They need to be healed. They need to be restored. They maybe need to stay in the medical center for a while. Maybe there's even rescuers when people fall in the water. And deadliest catch, it's deadly when people fall in the water. There's HR, possibly. And I was thinking about this. What about work times and rest times? Both are so valuable to help people catch fish. And there's the captain. Thank you very much, Josh. And the next most important guys are the mates, the captain's mates. And they give vision and direction, and they help this boat go to the, the waters it needs to go to. And I think this is really important because we can learn a lot from this metaphor as a church, but also as leaders. But there's a really important question that comes out of it. If we're not a cruise liner, but a fishing boat, and we're all on this boat, what role do you play? We don't know that much about fishing, so we only named a few. But, you, you know, your imagination can go. What role do you play on this fishing boat? Every role is to catch more fish. And I talked about this today, and I went to this metaphor, partly just because it's fun to have discussion, <laughs> but also because metaphors are really big and really important in the Bible because they point us to good things. And, and what we want to do today is to look into three metaphors in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're actually going to whiz through them. We're not going to be that long this morning. So I'm going to read first 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 4. And get your Bible out, get your phone out. It's going to pop up here on the uh, overhead as well. 1 Corinthians 3, chapters 1 to 4. Or sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly 
merely infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Apollo, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? This isn't the first metaphor. And in fact, you know, we dealt with this a couple weeks ago, so I don't want to deal with it again, but it's this whole thing. I'm with this guy, I'm with that guy, I have this preference, I have that preference. And there's some importance to it because Paul keeps bringing it up and bringing it up. So I hope we get that. I hope that sticks and then we're going to move on from it. (laughs) Verse 5, if you go on, starts like this. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has signed to each one his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. I love that. We're in this together. No role is any important. I'm the guy that stands up here sometimes, but no role is any more important than other. In fact, we only meet two hours on a Sunday. So this role is definitely not any more important than the rest of you guys. And whatever we do in the week and wherever we are in the week, and even in this, inviting, sending, setting up, worshiping, we're all in this together. It ends like this. The one who plants, the one who waters, the one who sets up, the one who works in the office, the one who is a joiner, the one who invites people here, the one who cooks, the one who invites people over. They have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And we're going to hear more about this in a second. For we are co-workers in God's service. You're God's field. That growth, that new life, this this, uh, farming metaphor. And then he changes. You're God's building. So verse 10, and listen carefully to this, goes on to say, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Whoa. Be careful what we're building. Because if we're not building on and for Jesus, it's not going to last. And, and, and Paul 
And yet this is not, this is not a message of salvation because you'll, you'll escape even through the flames. Salvation is free. Jesus totally paid for that. His death, his resurrection is offered to you. You receive it. That's done. There's an embrace of the Father. But, but there's still this crazy picture that one day somehow, I don't know what this is going to look like, but we're going to come and we're going to lay everything we have, whatever we've done, in this as a body, in this as individuals, before God. And as I said, you know, you may be standing in line and someone lays this whole stuff on there and it's just burnt. Well, I don't know what it's going to look like, consuming flames. And then, and then it's not this guy. The person before you pulls this like beautiful, shiny crown out and his gold and, and diamonds. And, and the, you're probably just looking up at God going, oh my goodness, this is left. And, and, and can I give it to you? Do, what do I do with this amazing thing? And someone else maybe pulls like, I don't know, it's a shield or it turns into some other gold thing or just pure diamonds or whatever. But imagine if you're the person and you step up and you lump your stuff on and maybe you're proud of it or maybe you're scared. I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. And the fire comes down and consumes it. And there's nothing. And it's just nothing there. What did you build on? And the crazy thing is, is this picture you're still in, you're still, you escape through the fire. And you know what, there's still like the story of the prodigal son, this embrace from God because you're with Jesus and you're standing there, but you're going, but I have nothing to, I... uh, I don't know what, and, and what do you even do there? That is a crazy passage of Paul. Be careful what you're building on. Be careful what you're building for, because only the stuff for and of Jesus will last. The rest is consumed by fire, and it's gone the day your life is extinct. Paul does not mince his words. But then he goes on to say this. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. When I first thought about this, I thought, that's about this worship. We're God's worship. But actually, it hit me, I don't know, I was walking or something. It's, well, it's partly about worship. But it's about presence. The temple was God's presence on earth. First, there was the tabernacle in the wilderness. There was that tent they moved around. <clears throat> and there was the cloud of smoke and the cloud of fire. And, and then there was the temple in Jerusalem. And you could only go in the temple. In fact, only one person could go in the temple once a year and only under the exact right circumstances because God was there. And you don't fool around with that place or you die. Well, crazily now, this body, this body, this body, these bodies, if you're here and you've received the life of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, you're God's temple. You're the presence of God. And somehow, crazily, it says together. Even more so, together we're the presence. And I was thinking, someone said this week, and it's true. I went to that church, and the presence of God was there. And that's true, because sometimes we can feel it more tangibly, or we just know it like, whoa, that was a powerful. But the presence of God is everywhere you go. How does that affect us when we think about this, this fishing boat idea? 
I'm going into my work and, I mean, you wouldn't say this, but hello, the presence of God is here. Please don't say that. (laughs) But how energizing is that? And we need to remember, that's why we have this. We need to remember those powerful truths. You are the presence of God. You're his temple. And I just want to take that back to this fishing boat metaphor and say, what does this mean for us? And there's some people at Simple Four. There's a a few people in our church that are like, fishermen, boom, that's me, I'm the net guy. I I love going to tell people about Jesus. I I love representing him, and I just know everything that I do is about, I want to talk to people, I want to start that conversation, and... And some people want to be that person, but we don't have the courage or whatever. But for those people, this conversation's easy. Fishing boat, I'm a fisherman, boom. And the reality is there is a spiritual gift of evangelism. We need to pray for those people, and we need to pray God raises up more of those people. And if it's in you a bit, we need God release that in me and get rid of the fear and get rid of the insecurity and get rid of all that. But for you, this conversation's always simple. For others of us, we want to play the supporting roles. You know, we want to be it. Just we want to be the cook. Great. We want to be the engineer, the cleaner, the HR, the doctor, the counselor, the encourager. And I say, brilliant, amazing. A fishing boat needs every single one of those roles when we meet collectively, but also as we do it in the community. Some people are evangelists, and he always talks about Jesus. I'm great at throwing parties, so can you come to my party? I make good food. You talk to people. Done deal. Or hockey team, or football, or whatever. But there's always overlap in these roles. There's no such thing as full-on supporting people, but sometimes it's harder to see our role. So I want to affirm you, supporting roles are so important. But I also really want to encourage us that we're the presence of God. And so the words of Jesus need to leak out of our supporting role as well. 1 Peter 3.15 is an encouragement to all of us. Stick up the next slide there. And we know this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes our supporting role people are like those integral salt to the earth. All their actions are so full of life that the words aren't natural to come out, but but let's all prepare to give an answer. And let's, pr- let's pray that God helps us live lives that require an answer, that beg an answer, that beg a question, because we need that just as much as well. And then there's some of us who are just struggling right now, who maybe physically or mentally are not doing well. And and crazily, sometimes those people are the best fishermen. Because when nothing of your circumstance should dictate hope or joy or peace, and you have that, that's a testimony beyond any. That's a testimony I could never give in a healthy body. But if you're in a sick bed and you're saying to a friend that's visiting, I have hope. I don't feel great and I'm not that great actually mentally today, but I have this incredible hope. That is power. That's the power of God. But then the reality is sometimes that sickness is beyond that. 
And the reality is in this room, I know, I guarantee you don't even have to do the statistics on it. We have people that don't have hope. And maybe you are saved. Maybe you don't even know yet. And we're going to get to that in a second. But you are saved. But right now, there's no hope. There's doubt. There's confusion. There's... And we need to get a lot better. Every church does. But what do, how, do, how do we do that? How do we allow you to be there for a time? But how do we also encourage you out of that? How do we draw alongside you? And that's not always easy. And sometimes it's just as hard to identify as that person as it is for someone else to see that you are that person. So we just need to constantly work together at that. And I don't have the two-point answer, but how to solve that. But know that we want to do that together. And we want to allow you to sometimes be in the infirmary but also come alongside you and walk out of that because doubt is normal. Fear is normal. Or there's the obvious as well. Maybe you're not sure what you think of any of this and maybe it's your first time here or maybe it's your thousandth time in a church and you're still not sure what you think of any of it. And I pray if it's your thousandth time, Lord, open, <laughs> open their eyes. But whatever journey you're going on, we pray that we're a helpful part of a discovery of truth, of a discovery of hope, of a discovery of God. And I was thinking, because this is the point, we talk about fishing, it's not about just getting, there's empty seats here, so we've got to fill these up. You know, if we get 10 more people, I get a 10% bonus. So come on, bring bring your friends. It's obviously totally not about that at all. It's not about having necessarily having bums in these seats at all. I'd actually be delighted if you grew up in, in Christ here, came to faith in Jesus here, and went to any other church in Balnehinch. If that's where you're going to find home, find life, find serve. You hear that from the front. I'd be delighted if you find home there. But you're so welcome here, especially if here's a foreign place. You're so welcome here. It's about helping people meet Jesus, find forgiveness, hope, love, community. And if you go somewhere else, or if you just walk away, that's your choice. But you're welcome here. Jesus used the fishing metaphor. Get the magnet up from there. To call his disciples. And I know that's jarring for us. You're always calling us to something. You've got to action, go. But he didn't just use a fishing metaphor to be a fisher, to be a fisher, to get people. Just before Luke chapter 5, we have Luke chapter 4. And if you can put the next slide up. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness not eating, not drinking, being tempted by Satan, but also spending time with his father. And when he came out of there, he went to his hometown and he dropped his manifesto, why he's going to call people to be fishers of men. And he said this. Read from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue, and he said, Luke chapter four eighteen. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
We are a fishing boat for this reason. And I pray that we, I pray for me and for you that we grasp this more and more every day for us and for the world around us. He has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. And maybe that's you today, the poor of spirit, the poor of heart, the poor of finance, the poor of of mind. Good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And you know you don't just have to be in jail to be a prisoner. You can be a prisoner of your habits. You can be a prisoner of your past. You can be a prisoner of the consequence of your actions. You can be a prisoner of what you're looking at or what you're saying or what you're doing. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To, re- to, recover, to give recovery of sight to the blind. I can't see hope. I can't see peace. I can't see joy. I can't see friendship. I can't see God. Lord, we pray for your miraculous recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free. And this last line really struck me. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The judgment of God and the wrath of God. Holy, perfect God on a broken humanity is part of the story. But we're here to proclaim the Lord's favor. How cool is that? Because we have the story of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. Not anything I did, but to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor that's on us and can be on you. And then in Matthew 28, that was the first thing Jesus says as he came on the scene. And in Matthew 28, 18, it said, Jesus came to his disciples <clears throat> And he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go fish. And as I said, the last slide and and the title of today is we are in this together. And I pray you don't hear that as a come on, guilt trip, get up, what role are you playing? I do pray we hear it as a challenge. I pray if you're in a time of need, you hear it as an as a, um, encouragement that we're in this together so people are going to come alongside me. If you're in a time of, of, of bounty, I pray you hear it as a challenge that I want to come walk alongside another Finnish fisherman. And maybe they're a cook, maybe they're a cleaner, maybe they're an engineer, maybe they're a whatever. But I pray that we're caught up in this incredible, incredible manifesto battle cry about good news, about freedom, about sight, and about the Lord's favor.